0: Hi, welcome to Colonial Williamsburg, past and present, on History.org. This is Behind the Scenes, where you meet the people who work here. That's my job. I'm Lloyd Dobbins, and mostly I ask questions. Interpreting the 18th century means recreating not just buildings and streets, but the people who walk them as well. At Colonial Williamsburg, actors and researchers collaborate in a process that's documented in this Thursday's electronic field trip, Making History Live. Kat Getword, an evening colonial performer, is with us today to talk about her part in the program. What part does music play in Me- this EFT?
1: In this particular electronic field trip, it it plays a very important part because th- there needs to be an understanding of how and why the music was uh, sung. Why do they sing um Call work songs in the fields, as opposed to hymns in the fields it 's very important to distinguish why these songs are being used um, in this electronic field trip. Um, the call work songs is very important because The call work songs is very similar to our modern day music where you have a caller, which is in modern times is called a lead singer. And then you have the responses, which in modern times is called either the chorus or background singers. And it just helps you understand how music of old has transformed into the music of today.
0: I have often wondered looking at EFTs, how hard is it to train these people to to Give a a believable performance. It's
1: not very hard if they actually enjoy what it is they're doing. And most of them, they come with an excitement and they're so enthusiastic about portraying uh, people of the past, wearing the costumes, singing the songs, doing the dances. So it's not very hard to train them at all.
0: When you know you're doing a fictional character, you can just make it up. But you're not doing a fictional character for electronic field trips. You are doing somebody at least theoretically, who actually lived and worked in these times and went to the store and went home.
1: Right. But when you're when you're talking about this particular program uh, that I'm in, I'll, I'll use the African-American music program, for example, we are not really portraying a specific person at Great Hope's Plantation. We are, we've taken a collection of enslaved people that we know about. We've read about them. We've read what the masters have written about them, as well as what masters have written about their music. We've read uh, slave narratives. And so we've put all that together to recreate as best we can an enslaved community of people. Now, what is very accurate is the names that we give each other as we're performing in front of the public. We've used uh, inventories of masters, and they've listed these inventories. So you get the names like Sookie and Aggie or Great Aggie or Baswan or Calabar. So that part is very authentic.
0: Mm -hmm. At what point, if there is one, does your name... Help you at all in portraying the character.
1: Mm, And this, when we're doing music programs, um, you can we actually stick to the names of an inventory from 1773 of Nathaniel Burrow, out at Carter's Grove uh, plantation. But when we're doing programs that's in the historic area, we actually use the um, the inventory from Peyton Randolph. Um, who we know he had 27 slaves, uh, during the mid 1770s in, uh, Williamsburg. So. It's very important that we try to bring the people uh, to life in that aspect, especially if we're in the historic area because now we're not talking about a collection of information that we're using to recreate a community. We're talking about real people now mm-hmm. that we're recreating and we have accounts of Eve Randolph so that's very important that since uh, Eve was talked about in the Virginia Gazette after Mrs. Randolph died, it's very very important to bring her to life. So the more information we have on a specific person, the better. But it depends on what programming we're doing and what is the purpose of that program. If we do a program specifically geared toward the Randolph Slaves, we're going to do everything within our power to use the names of the people we know were on that property.
0: The... uh One of the few things I know about music from that day is that the banjo is in fact an African instrument and was brought over and that's when the banjo was introduced to American music.
1: And in Africa, the instrument was actually called the banjar. But, you know, as the two cultures began to blend with one another and learn their language, the banjar became the banjo. And if you think about the 18th century, you had lesser sorts in society who were considered poor whites. They're working alongside the enslaved. So, of course, the languages is um, being transferred between the two cultures as well as their cultural experiences. So you have uh, what would have been proper English music now being transferred into country English music, and you have these blending of people, and they're sharing their music with one another. So that's how you get that. We do have, um, we do know that some of the instruments that some of the enslaved Africans were trained to uh play were actually the fiddle violin. And um, I don't know their names, but I do know that there were two very, very good enslaved fiddlers or violinists that lived in Richmond during the 18th century that were actually rented out by their master to play at balls and dances and things of that nature.
0: You were talking about call and response songs, which is lead singer and the backup singer sort of it. Do you know any, uh, I mean, what's an example?
1: Well, I can give you an example only if you're going to work with me here. I'm going to be the caller. You're going to have to be the one that responds. And all it's as simple as repeating what I say.
0: Okay. You ready? I'm ready.
1: One day, one day.
0: One day, one day.
1: I was walking along. I was
0: walking along.
1: And I heard a little voice.
0: And I heard a little voice,
1: but didn't see no one,
0: but didn't see no one.
1: That's it. That's good. That was good right there. That's the call and response. And that um, that particular call works on goes on. It's actually talking about someone that's planning on running away. Oh, okay. And he he said, I was walking along. I didn't see no one. And as the uh, call and work song progresses, you find out that John had a pair of shoes in which he put a heel on the front of the shoe and a heel on the back of the shoe. So when he decided he was going to walk away, no one could tell really which way he was going.
0: So the, uh, the call and response song is not some made up song by some composer 50 miles away it's about what happens to you
1: it's about their everyday life even even today when a songwriter writes a song they're singing from their experiences That's what motivates them to write. And that's true to the 18th century. They sang songs about the heat. They sang songs about love, songs about a marriage. They even sang remnants of war songs that were brought over maybe three and four generations before them by the 1700s, of course. And they can't remember maybe the entire songs, but they remember bits and pieces. So they're singing about something. Maybe they heard their mama's. And the papas sing about. But in the case of Lost John, there was a message in there. It was letting everybody know he's making preparations because he's going to run away. And he's going to wear the pair of shoes that had a heel in front and a heel behind. And if if I may, I can finish the song very uh, fast. It says, he had a heel in front and a heel behind. Well, you couldn't hardly tell. Which way he is going, which way he is going. And and that's it. And you just repeated that. But that let everybody in the community know um, that something was getting ready to happen.
0: I read somewhere that work songs were made up in the field and you worked at the pace of the song. That's the way you paced yourself and you kept going. But that some of the words the masters never heard because they wouldn't have liked them because they would talk about the mistress's big feet and, you know, how they hated it. Uh, and I've always thought, you know, if that was true, it was clever of somebody to come up with that song just to keep the slaves moderately entertained because they certainly weren't going to be entertained by the work. Do you, have you ever heard that ever?
1: that is absolutely uh true it, and and this to take your mind off of the work uh the setting the pace let me start there is very 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 important in an enslaved situation because you have the young and old out there alike and you have to set a pace because if the young cannot work faster than the old the old can't keep up with the young so you have to set up a pace where everybody can work together mm-hmm. that's one way you're going to keep the lash off your back, and so they, they're they using these songs, and these called work songs, there's one song that we sing, we've been singing it as far as I know since I've been in evening programs, it's, oh Emma, oh, you turn around, dig a hole in the ground, oh Emma, oh, well Emma, she's from the country, Oh, Emma, oh, you turn around, dig a hole in the ground. Oh, Emma, oh, well, Emma, she's got a crush on Lloyd. Oh, Emma, oh, you turn around, dig a hole in the ground. Oh, Emma, oh, and see how I just interjected your Mm -hmm. name. And that's and as different people. It was very important that that person, whether he was the overseer or the foreman, if he was an enslaved person, it was very important for that person to be strong within that community because he's the one that's going to have to keep up that um Emma she's got a crush on Lord, and he might even interject what he considered uh Humor might not be the best word, but he's going to say things. He might say things, well, Emma, she's got a great big head. Oh, Emma, ho oh. And he might say things like that. And for all we know, he could be talking about the master's daughter. But because they've never heard that song, the master daughter, her name could have been Mary, Nancy, Elizabeth. But she's up in the house. And understand human nature. You hear these enslaved people singing. Five, six, seven days a week. This whole Emma, ho, and it does what we call grow on you. It's gonna grow on you, even if you're uh, gentry. And then as a child, um, they don't ch- children play together. Black, white, free, and slave. Well, these children they hear these songs and they're singing too. Ho, Emma, ho, and Mary, Nancy, Elizabeth is probably singing about herself, but she don't know it. Mm-hmm. That's one way they, they use, they use, uh, singing as a tool to release hurt, anger, pain. Now everybody in the enslaved community, they know who Emma is. But the master and mistresses and the family, <laughs> they don't know who Emma is. So they go on the fields, they change the names. But this is taking the mind off of the work, and it's also releasing just a little bit of the hardships of being enslaved.
0: That's Colonial Williamsburg, past and present this time. Check back often. and we'll post more for you to download and hear. The electronic field trip, Making History Live, premieres December 11, 2008 on history.org slash trips and on local public broadcasting stations. We like hearing from you. Submit your ideas and questions at history.org slash